Act Now is produced by Goal 17 Media, storytellers for the common good. My grandfather was German, and he could build anything. Cabinets, fine furniture, anything. He had these amazing hands. Sturdy, meaty, real firm. You couldn't shake his hand without feeling his presence, feeling his power. And those hands, let me tell you, they were solid worker hands, you know, and they really, really knew how to make things, beautiful things. Hey, everybody, my name is John Langs, and I am the artistic director of ACT Theater. I just want to thank you for joining us in this new podcast. Um, I want to acknowledge that we're all going through this time of social distancing that's been brought about by the COVID-19 crisis, but we wanted to reach out from ACT Theater and let you know that as we can't bring you into the theater right now, perhaps we can bring a little of ACT Theater to you. The lessons of the past have anything to teach us um, as creative people in the city of Seattle is that when the chips are down, we really pull together. I've been moved over and over again at the way that the community has shown up for this theater. And I think this podcast and us reaching out and everything we're doing right now while the theater itself is dark is an attempt to reach back to the community to say thank you, to say that we're here, to say that we will continue to be creative and find any ways we can to bring you stories. Because I think as anybody who is listening to a podcast knows, stories are what get you through. Stories are the things that inspire us and that keep our days sort of organized from one long drone that can go on forever. They inspire us and that's why we come to work every day. For those of you who don't know anything about ACT Theater, we are right downtown at 7th and Union in the old Kreshheimer's building and the Eagles Auditorium. Uh, we've been there for 19 years. Theater itself is 55 years old. It started uh, when Greg Falls, a University of Washington professor, famously said, theaters grow better in bunches. And just after the Seattle Repertory opened their fall to spring season, Greg Falls had this great idea of bringing contemporary cutting-edge theater to the Seattle community. And we're so proud to carry on that legacy. Our building has five different theaters in one building, and we program just about year-round. Uh, uh, most people know us because of this incredible traditional production of A Christmas Carol that I think is somewhere in the 45th year of its run. I think what makes a contemporary theater special or different is that our job is to really take a look at where the world is now and to find works of art or develop works of art that really speak to some of the issues and problems that we're all wrestling with today. We, we want to bring great entertainment, but everything about the selection process always has us checking in with, what does the world need to have a conversation about right now? And today I just wanted to tell you a little bit about a story that we just lived through an experience that was, it was wild. Um, like I imagine many of you are living through a wild time right now. But it starts last year, about the middle of 2019. And along with my colleagues at ACT Theater, we were engaged in the thrilling annual pastime of selecting a season of plays for our audience. 
And this process is one whereby we try to read the tea leaves or look a little bit into a crystal ball to try to figure out where our audience headspace will be at in the year to come. And of course, 2020, an election year. So as we were reading plays, we were thinking, what will our act theater audience who loves bold contemporary theater be in the mood for? And we were fortunate enough to get the rights, which is always a process at the theater, to sweat the 2017 Pulitzer Prize winning play by Lynn Nottage. Only female playwright to win the Pulitzer Prize two times in a row. We pulled the trigger on sweat to open our 55th main stage season. We gathered a remarkable group of designers, costume, sound, lights, set. We had an extensive audition process. We came up with an incredible cast. Uh, we were working for about a year before we stepped into rehearsal on February 20th of 2020. And at this time, there was just a little conversation um, in the back of all of our minds that something very, very different was happening in our world. And once again, our theater uh, just felt like we were on the bleeding edge of a conversation. And here we are today, um, having scheduled Sweat, uh, a 2017 Pulitzer Prize winner uh, in 2020, which really talks about how a group, a tight-knit community, um, have all lost their jobs um, and how what that does to friendships and, and how uh, feelings of isolation have really started to um, change the landscape of who we are. I have been a huge fan of this show for many reasons. It's humor, it's heart, uh, the authenticity of the characters. It's a multi-generational, multicultural show that just requires the best of actors. And I thought, what a perfect way to open our 2020 season. We get into auditions, we find the perfect cast, and we walk into rehearsal. But looming in the background, the noise has begun about what's happening all over the world with this coronavirus. And we find ourselves in the middle of this incredible rehearsal about many people losing their jobs and what happens to a community when a kind of economic devastation strikes and what happens to people when they're isolated from those they love. That's the play we're doing and that's the room we're in. So I feel like in some ways, the prescience that we thought we had in choosing Sweat was there, but not for the reasons we thought it was. One of the things you learn about doing theater right away is that it is a team sport. And one of the unique opportunities of this particular podcast act now is that I get the honor and privilege to introduce to you some remarkable actors. So joining us today from their exile in <laughs> their own locations are two remarkable actors, uh, both core company members at ACT Theater. Reggie Jackson, who I met doing my first show in Seattle years ago, he played Edmund in King Lear with me. And we have a, we have a wonderful history stretching back over a decade now. And Anne Allgood, also a core company member who has been in 16 different productions at ACT Theater. You've probably seen her work if you go to the Village Theater or the Fifth Avenue. 
She's um, a triple threat, the singer, the dancer, the actor. And I just have to say how wonderful it is to actually hear your voices. It's been weeks. It's been weeks. So welcome to Act Now, the podcast. I cannot tell you how wonderful it is to see your faces. Back at you. um, (laughs) You know, being in that rehearsal room, I think the last time I saw you guys, we were all looking at each other thinking, when will we get back to this beautiful play again? And um, I'm just moved. I think we're all going through something extraordinary right now. And to see you, um, Anne, at your home with your books and your music around and Reggie in, in the beautiful great outdoors. I'm, I'm sitting here in my man cave, you know, with a, with a bunch of plays that I keep procrastinating on reading and thinking a lot about what's next. So hi and welcome. How are you? Hey. Uh, I'm, I'm making it through, you know, trying to figure out how to homeschool the kid and trying to keep up on uh, my writing and looking at the guitar that's been sitting in my uh, man cave, the Fortress of Solitude for some time now. (laughs) And the uh, rowing machine and the treadmill, thinking about those things and not really actually using them. (laughs) And how about you, Anne? I feel, uh, I I tip my hat to everybody out there who is caring for kids at home. I don't have kids in my home and I think the level of stress management activity scheduling all of that is exponentially higher in a home with kids i i live across the street from a couple with two rambunctious boys and they're both teachers they're both teaching Um, my sister is teaching in st louis at a school for the blind and she's leading them on virtual field trips where she just describes everything they went to the san diego zoo last week um, <laughs> just all that weird thinking outside the box, right? But I feel you, Reggie. I'm like, I, this is not the time in my world, in my life for me to like get killer core workout and learn Italian. I'm just trying to like keep food moving through the house efficiently. And some days are efficient. Some days are, are not. And I'm just trying to listen to myself and, and I'm blessed to have a partner here who I can hug and listen to where he's coming from from one moment to the next. So it's, it's, it's weird, isn't it y'all? Right. It's like, (laughs) yeah, there, I I have so many things I could be doing. And so often I lack the incentive to do it. Um, But I feel like I'm actually managing it better now than at the beginning. And I think that's because for the first week, at least I was in grief about this play Mm. and you know, the whole world was falling apart and all that was very strange, but I was just all of a sudden cut off at the knees because the structure of my world, physically, emotionally, mentally, all of that was jerked out from under me. And then after about a week or a week and a half, I kind of looked around and realized that we were, that everybody was going through all kinds of experiences and variants of that. And I, I, I looked around at the bigger management picture than just like what happened to the world we were building. I felt yeah. both of you guys were building these extraordinary, truly extraordinary performances in the room. And when I write to folks about what's going on with the theater, I often mention the two of you. And my biggest uh, regret at this moment is that we interrupted two incredible processes of actors being able to build these people. But I want to kind of roll back the camera for a second and just to talk to our audience a little bit about what it's like 
to get a part like Tracy in a Pulitzer Prize winning play by a great playwright, what it's like to get a part like Brucey. And what were you guys after and thinking about before you walked into that rehearsal room? This is such an, uh, an amazing piece because it, it was so well researched. And it wasn't just that, let's look at some books and, and find out some stuff. I mean, they went and they talked to all of these people. And so some form of the characters that we play or amalgam of characters, people that were interviewed were actual real humans. And as always, it just feels like, you know, you want to honor that when you know that that's the case, you want to honor that the best way that you can. It feels insulting to do anything less than your best when you're trying to find out who these people are and show them. So you're just grateful to have material that's that rich and we're talking about individual performances but they they don't live that way you know these great characters are all bouncing off of each other and reacting to each other they have histories that go back 30 years when they were in their teens or even in high school together and now they've been on the front lines of, of fighting this sort of economic war getting sent into these dangerous places to work and people are losing limbs and seeing these jobs going away and fighting to keep them, all of that is just such rich material. And, and, and especially in the case of my character, Brucey, we get to see him in three completely different stages uh, as he tries to deal with what's happening to him. And she gives you this gift of being able to show all of the range of the character. And yeah, having, getting, having to let go of something like that is a bit difficult. <laughs> yeah. yeah. How about you, Anne? I want to talk, I'm just focusing on in, in the narrative of the undoing of the unmaking of a play. Um, <laughs> just the moment of, you know, getting the part, prepping the part, walking into that room. I, I, I echo everything that Reggie said. I, I think I've said to you before that I, I love to tell stories and make plays about things that actually happened. That to me is, it's just compelling. And, and I always send up a prayer that I can honor the life of, of that person, uh, the person who never lived or the person who actually did live these things. When I was getting ready, I felt like I was standing at the foot of a mountain. <laughs> like, okay, here goes, you know, and, and looking up at this, this mountaintop and thinking about the rigors of scaling it a step at a time and really looking forward to the workout before I got into the room. And knowing that we would all be kind of bungee corded to one another as we climb this thing together. I think when a play is as good as this one, it teaches us so much in the unpacking of it. There wasn't a day in that room where we didn't have epiphanies and light bulb moments of new meanings of turns of phrase and words and echoing motifs and things that characters had in common with each other and ways they clashed. And, and I feel like this is a play that you could do for a long, long time and it will continue to teach you things every time you do it. I think if I were an audience member, I would want to come and see it several times because there's so much there. It's such a, a rich brew. And who'd have thought it would be so timely? You know, I woke up this morning thinking about this podcast and I thought, poor Tracy can't catch a break, man. <laughs> she doesn't even get to have her story told. <laughs> this is Tracy, the name of Anne's character. And I just, I need to, I just need to say watching both of you and, and, and um, rehearsal by rehearsal, 
you know, the thing that we ask of actors and why I think they're so brave is that they are a kind of an emotional athlete, that you guys get out there to craft a performance that allows other people to feel. The good actors do that. The, the You know, I think there's, there's a course book of acting where you're trying to show and indicate um, things for people. But what you guys were trying to do, and very successfully, I thought, was living um, bones out emotionally uh, raw and letting these things happen to you. And like we all do, we try to, and the characters that you were making leapt into dimension for me because you were both struggling to be normal, keep things sane, keep things moving forward like people do, like real people do. You were both concentrated on the doing. But while you're doing this, my, I wanted to just drift into that space when we all started to feel like the world outside was changing. I mean, for me, I guess I would say the, the first inkling was working with um, another actor who happened to be a nurse in January, a guy I think a lot of people know, Josh, Josh Carter. And he said, yeah, people are in my hospital are saying it's going to get bad. And that was the first little um, whisper I, I said of, of what's happened with coronavirus. So, so Reggie, how did that, how did that, can you remember that moment that you were, you felt Mm, there's a disturbance in the forest here. When in the middle of this process, my my mom had a pretty invasive surgery. She had um, some uh, a bunch of work done internally. It, it hit me. I'd been going to see my mom about every day, and I went in, and suddenly I'm a wall of security people are coming at me, and I'm oh, okay. Whoa, what's what's going on? And then uh, they started asking me if I'm feeling any symptoms or if this is going on. And, and uh, I'd also noticed that the hospital started getting, thinning out. The more I went, the less people were actually in the hospital. And that was sort of, okay, this is, things are ramping up and this is getting real. That's incredible, Reggie. That must have been terrifying, I'll say. For me, I think, well, I'm married to a research scientist, so he started studying numbers and continues to do so kind of obsessively. And, but I think for the, the, the penny dropped for me when that first case in Humboldt, California, hmm. was discovered and then no one knew how they had not been to Asia. You know, they, it was like, whoa, okay, now it has sort of taken root and is beginning to flower here. And uh, my husband works at Hutch, and I remember he works from home often anyway. And there was a day when he was like, I think I'm going to go in and, you know, move some equipment around or something. And I said, please don't, because a, a, a research facility like that is either, you know, the safest place on earth to be or the most dangerous place on earth to be. And I wasn't sure which one it might have been, right? And I think. Then in ensuing weeks, you know, I started thinking, well, I'm taking the bus to work and is that kind of risky? And we all started washing our hands and doing our thing, right? You know, I, <laughs> it seems like it happened so quickly because it did. And at the same time, it feels like so long ago, somebody sent me something yesterday that said 30 days, half November, April, May, and December, all the rest have 31 except for March, which has 8,000. <laughs> 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 but I remember thinking, okay, I, if I can just get into the building and act safely and then wash my hands, then we can continue doing what we're doing. And it was, it was ironic to think that, okay, we're going to do this sometimes very painful emotional work and that's the safest space. And that's the thing that we, that we want to be doing instead of having to be out in the, the scary world. Yeah. And I was just going to say like, as, as we were, as we continued to work on the play, 
what changed about that room? Um, certainly we started obsessively washing our hands. I remember, <laughs> I remember you were directing a, um, one of the, I think the scene with Lucy uh, and his, his son and his son's friend, and you got called for a break and I turned around and like six other actors were standing around the table with lotion because we've been washing their hands all day and everybody was cracked and dry. And I just looked at them, when did you see like six people just like... <laughs> I know. I remember rehearsing the fight. And like, how do you socially distance when you're doing a fight, right? We're like, we have to touch one another. And they were, you know, they're intimacy directors now, but all of a sudden they took on this whole other meaning, right? And I I do remember those of you in the room who were parents, you and uh, Sarah saying, Sarah said, the the inner germaphobe in me is secretly really thrilled right now. (laughs) And you were like, yeah, anybody who has a toddler understands about washing hands and always has, right? So... Yeah. Oh, uh, early on, uh, Tracy Hughes, another actor in the play, we had a scene where, you know, we're about to kiss. She's like, well, "You won't kiss me?" What? I was like, "We got time." <laughs> for a couple of days, I was like, "Oh, we got all kinds of time." Cause... <laughs> it's true. I mean, you know, I think when we get back to this, you know, the act of touching one another. I mean, the, just think about the first time you're going to be back on stage, and plays are about kissing. They're about fight work. They're about close contact. We talk about kiss or kill. I would, I would love for you guys just to tell us a little bit about, a little more about the content of the show, you know, either from your character's point of view or just to give our listeners a little bit of an overview of like what the, what the show was, you know, the ideas, the big ideas behind the show. For me, some of the big ideas are about belonging who belongs and who doesn't, who's othered, who, what does it mean to belong to a place, to a community? How do you define yourself in terms of your family, your heritage, your work, the pride you take in your work? And what happens when that is taken away from you and that structure doesn't, doesn't shore your life up anymore? I do feel like, you know, this, the, the world is on the verge of a huge shift in the way we work, in how we have access to what we do, how we have access to one another, the you know shifts in the economic picture of the whole world. And sweat feels like now a kind of microcosm of that. When, this, when these factory closures happened in Reading, Pennsylvania, they eliminated the middle class, period, right? And the old rules didn't apply and the, the ends that you could meet didn't meet anymore. And I also feel like for me, anyway, for Tracy, a lot of it, a lot of the plays about loyalty and what does it mean to stick with something or someone when times are tough? What does it mean to be betrayed and to betray? Um, what, what can you count on? It's uncanny, right? Yeah. The, I, there is a, that sense of isolation that each one of the characters feels when they, the, their livelihood is essentially taken away from them. I remember... What does Tracy say about that when she's at the mm. bar by herself? Something about what she's been doing. Oh, well, I said I've been, you know, working the walking the line in the morning, working the phones in the afternoons, you know, trying to just sort of keep going. And but there's there's really nothing for her to do, right? And Tracy's a doer. She's a worker. She says, "I'm a worker. I've worked since I could count money. That's who. That's me." Mm-hmm. When it first happens, she sits on the 
couch for a week picking out her cuticles because <laughs> she doesn't have anywhere to go. She doesn't leave her house. Sound familiar? So, <laughs> right? so it, it was shattering to me when, when, for me to realize I had, I have text in the play about being locked out of my factory with no notice and not being able to even re-enter the building to get my stuff. Mm-hmm. I have text about not leaving my house for a week because I don't have anywhere to go. Mm-hmm. I have text about getting a voucher for a bag of groceries from the supermarket from my union because, you know, that's all they can do for me right now while they try and fight for severance pay or something. And all of that is like, I hear it on the news every night now and I, and I see it in my life and in people's lives. I'll, I'll interject that one thing that makes me especially sad with the rehearsal process is that, you know, our, our projected last day of rehearsal kept changing because we were going to stick it out as long as we could. And right. then we had a revised text schedule and a new calendar and we we're going to make it work. And then, and then there was a, like a company meeting called at lunch one day and we all got sent home. <laughs> and then the next day we were going to all come in and get on the set for the first time and just walk around in that space and hear the sound design, which we'd never heard and do a clean, clean run through of the play all together so that we would get it on videotape and have it as a record, as an archive, as something to come back to in the work. And then we were all gonna have a bunch of cocktails together. And we were like gonna bring the fancy liquor and have cocktails. And that morning, somebody uh, woke up with a sore throat and so we canceled that rehearsal. And we, so we didn't even get to say goodbye. I know. I know. And I just was thinking about um, all of the moments before that, where every break people were looking down at the, their phones. Oh, and, yeah. oh, The NBA was canceled. Disneyland is closed. Broadway is canceled. Every 10 minutes, it was like, I don't know, Reg, do you have any of those, those moments seared into your memory like I do? Well, when I announced the school closures, and I just remember sort of your face and you stopped and said, okay, that's a good time to take a break. Thank you for that, Reggie. <laughs> yeah. It was shortly after that that we all went home. Yeah. yeah. Well, well, also because I have a three-year-old and now I know what that meant. Actually. <laughs> um, now this show actually opens with two people who are leaving an isolation who have been incarcerated and are now trying to find a way back into society, mm-hmm. which we will all have to do at some point. Um, and I keep thinking about my friend Anthony, Anthony Leroy Fuller, who, who hasn't been on the stage in 15 years, and this is his first play back, and all of a sudden that gets pulled away from him. And that's sort of, you know, I, I can't imagine how that process felt like for him and other people who hadn't worked at ACT before. This was going to be their first show, and now they're sort of looking at what's next for them. Um, that whole, the, the play starts with a, a sort of a mystery. This mm-hmm. Some awful event has happened to these people and we don't really discover what that is until much later, but it affects everybody in the play. And this is really human, small, intimate play that I'd be excited to get back to That's <laughs> where we're at now. Well, I have to say, you know, um, once or twice a week since this has happened, I have had to go to ACT Theater for one reason or another. And 
all three times I have walked the stage of sweat. And I just imagine you guys out there, it's super lonely and super emotional, but the set is sitting there with a ghost light uh, on it, waiting for wow. you, just waiting for you. We're not going to do anything with that set until you guys get back on it. I hope. Hey, Anne, I, I was wondering, because it really takes us to the heart of the piece, if you would just grace us with a little bit of that monologue from Paige. I think it's, what is it, 43, 43 or 34? And to me, the power of a great playwright is, and I think Lynn Nottage is a great playwright, is threefold. One, it is great craft and storytelling, always making you want to know what happens next. And two, there's such a beautiful poetry to a great playwright's language. It's individual, it's unique. It's from the center of that human and processed through all these interviews that Lynn has done. But third, the images as they come together kind of create an overtone. And I've been haunted by thinking about this particular passage, Anne, since we left the room. And I, I just... I think the that our listeners will will understand if you just give them a little read of it, would you? Sure. <clears throat> well, my family's been here a long time, since the 20s, okay? They built the house that I live in. They built this town. My grandfather was German, and he could build anything. Cabinets, fine furniture, anything. <sighs> he had these amazing hands. Sturdy, meaty, real firm. You couldn't shake his hand without feeling his presence, feeling his power. And those hands, let me tell you, they were solid worker hands, you know, and they really, really knew how to make things, beautiful things. I'm not talking about now, how you got these guys who can patch a hole with spackle and think they're the shit. My grandfather was the real thing, a craftsman. I remember when I was a kid, I mean, eight or nine, we go downtown to Penn with Opa to walk and look in store windows. Downtown was real nice back then. You get dressed up to go shopping, you know, Pomeroy's, Whitner's, whatever. I felt really special. Because he was this big strapping man and people gave him room. But what I really loved was he'd take me to office buildings, banks, you name it. And he'd point out the woodwork. And if you got really, really close, he'd show some detail that he carved for me. An apple blossom. <laughs> really, that's what I'm talking about. It was back when if you worked with your hands, people respected you for it. It was a gift. But now... There's nothing on pen. You go into the buildings, the walls are covered over with sheetrock. The wood painted gray or some ungodly color. It just makes me sad. It makes me... Whatever. Thank you for that. Oh, it just makes me miss it. it makes me, me too. It. Yeah. Me too. Well, we'll get back to it. We'll get back to all of it. Yeah. I just want to thank you guys for being here today and for helping ACT Theatre stay connected to this audience. It is my dearest hope that they will get to see our production of Sweat that was unplugged because of Corona-19. Um, that set is sitting there with a ghost light on it waiting for you. And mostly, I just want to say that one of the great gifts of being a theatre artist in this community is you get to meet your people. Reggie, our first meeting and doing King Lear um, and your role of Edmund, I just felt like I had found a friend and a, and a person that was going to be dear to me. And um, look at us now, sitting in exile, still talking. 
And <laughs> Anne, I had just waited to work with you for so long after I think 14 productions you had done at ACT Theater and for us to get back to uh, work with tribes and to get to know each other on that level was just a really wonderful, wonderful thing in my life. And I'm so glad your core company members I know we're going to come back from this stronger than when we left it. Um, it's a time, but it's a time that I think uh, we're all listening because we have to, to the things that are really deep inside of us. And Reggie, as a writer, I can't wait to hear what, how you're going to express this moment. And Anne, as an actor, I cannot wait to see that next performance as you guys get out on stage again. So thanks for being here. Thank, Thank you. you. Well, I can't think of a more powerful way to end our first podcast than on those words. So I just want to say from Goal 17 Media and the new podcast Act Now, thank you so much for sharing your time with us. Stay safe, and I cannot wait to continue the conversation. Mm-hmm.